We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks upcoming matchup on Saturday night against the Washington Wizards. I, like you, am on cloud nine because I'm a few hours removed from a thrilling Knicks victory over the Philadelphia 76ers. They took on the team that had the number one net rating in the NBA, and they beat them by 36. That's right. In the city that used to call this nation's capital home, the Knicks went in and invaded. And now, if they're in the mood for another invasion, they head to Washington on January 6th. Let you do with that what you'd like. Uh, they're going to play the 6-27 Washington Wizards. And speaking of net rating, the research I did before this episode is all about net rating because the Wizards are minus 10.8 on the season. Now, for those who don't know what net rating is, it's how you're being how much you're outscoring the other team or being outscored by the other team per 100 possessions both offensive and defensive it's very simple they take your your offense offensive rating how many points you're scoring per 100 possessions and then your defensive rating how much you're giving up per 100 possessions and then you just subtract it offense minus defense well the wizards are being outscored by, again, 10.8 points per 100 possessions. And in any other year, this would probably be the worst in the NBA, but not this year. This is a historic year in the NBA because there are three worse teams than the Washington Wizards. The uh, Charlotte Hornets, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Detroit Pistons all have at least a minus 10.8 net rating. And funny enough, excuse me, 10.4 uh, uh, net rating. Point being, there's at least four teams with a minus 10 net rating. And if you go through NBA history, has this ever happened? Four teams with a minus 10 net rating. The answer is no. In fact, it's only happened twice in the last 40 years that two teams in the same season have had a minus 10 net rating. You got to go all the way back to 1999-2000. The Chicago Bulls were 17-65 and 65 and were obviously a minus 10. And the Los Angeles Clippers were even worse. They were 15-67. and 67. They were minus, nearly minus 12 on the season. Now, because... 
it's a lottery. Neither of these teams got the number one pick. In in fact, the 31 and 51 New Jersey Nets got the number one pick and took Kenyon Martin. I believe that's the Marcus Pfizer draft for the Bulls, which would mean that's the Darius Miles draft for the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, Then you also got to go back to 1985-96, the iconic 96 draft with Allen Iverson and Kobe Bryant and uh, Steve Nash and Ray Allen and Stephon Marbury. Well, uh, the Sixers, in order to get the number one pick in which they took Allen Iverson, had to go 18 and 64 that season with at least a minus 10. And then the two pick in that draft was Sharif Abdur Rahim to the Vancouver Grizzlies, who went 15 and 67 um, and obviously had a minus 10 net rating. Um, for those interested, I might bring it up next week when I talk to someone on a Mavericks pod, but the worst. Uh, net rating in NBA history is minus 15.2 and that's the Dallas Mavericks in 92-93. That's the draft that led to um, uh, Jamal Mashburn. And then the following season, uh, they were uh, also like pretty bad. I think I think they won like two more games and they ended up taking Jason Kidd. Um, uh, they went 11-71 and 71 in the season I'm talking about, 92-93. And then it's recent, but during the lockout shortened season of 2011-2012, the Charlotte Bobcats, remember when that was the thing? Um, they, in a 66-game season, almost lost 60 games. They went 7-69, and 69, excuse me, 59, um, and finished with an identical minus 15.2 net rating. So that's the company that the Washington Wizards find themselves in. I know we all have the same PTSD that the Wizards are going to take advantage of a letdown game, but they really don't have that many impressive even wins in their six wins. It's like a win against Portland here and, and one of the wins against Detroit during the losing streak. They beat the Nets, who I thought quit on their coach, but they beat OKC last night, so maybe they haven't officially quit yet. And then the Pacers, and I'd, I'd argue that with that defense, you you kind of have a chance to beat the Pacers on any night because they're not going to guard you. So if you're hitting your shots, you have a chance to win. So I, I'm I'm going into this game on cloud nine. They should win this game. They should win this game by a lot. Obviously, a lot of things went right in the Philadelphia game. But the, the last bit of confidence I'll give you going into this. So according to Cleaning the Glass, um, this site that we use and, and love and get all of our data, most of our data from, uh, they like, they're really good with lineup data and they can tell you how many 100 possession lineups a team has. So the Knicks actually lead the NBA with 100 possession lineups with 10. Tibbs has obviously with the depth of this team had to start the year. He was trying a ton of things. Um, you know, a team like Dallas who has like a very set starting five and honestly, the availability of some of their players is not the best. They have one lineup that's played at least 100 possessions this year. Um, the Oklahoma City Thunder has one lineup that's played 100 possessions. The Memphis Grizzlies only has two. And we're probably not going to see most of those lineups going forward because uh, uh, John Morant wasn't in either of them. Um, well, in the NBA, of all 30 teams, there are only two that have at least four lineups of 100 possessions. And neither of them have a positive on-off differential. Neither of their four best lineups or most used lineups have outscored the other team when they've been on the court. That's the Utah Jazz, who have somewhat of a built-in excuse, although Laurie Markin's part of it. Um, but in and Laurie Markin has like their best on-off, but is in all four of these lineups. Uh, they've played a lot better lately, but you have the Utah Jazz. 
And then you have the Wizards, who have no built-in excuse and could potentially be... Listen, I said at the beginning of the season, I thought this team was trending toward 74 losses. And if it wasn't for the Pistons, we'd be very much talking about the Wizards and how bad they are. But also this historic year, they're just part of a part of a Mount Rushmore of, of horrible teams. Um, I say all of this in the weirdest lead up to introducing my guest for today. He's a returning guest, Matt Moderno, who knows his stuff and and knows a lot about, obviously he covers the Wizards for the Believe In Network. He hosts a podcast with former Wizard and former NBA uh, veteran, uh, Jahadi White. I remember playing with Jahadi White in, uh, uh, it was NBA Courtside featuring Kobe Bryant on the N64. Um, and now his co-host is joining me for this podcast today. Uh, we don't talk a lot about the game. There is a point portion of this episode where we will talk about how this game might go, but we, we all know why you want to hear from a Wizards content creator or expert right now. We want to know what the price is for Tyus Jones. So let's get into it. My conversation with Matt Moderno of the Believe in Wizards podcast previewing this matchup against the Wizards and the potential trade negotiations for Tyus Jones. Enjoy. Matt, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I hope we're trade partners in the future. I think that'd be good for both parties. So uh, let's figure out what we can work out here. So let's get the nonsense out the way. That's where I want to start because I I, I mean this as respectfully as possible. How this game goes it's it's not as important to me as the potential for the Knicks to trade for Tyus Jones since they just traded Emmanuel quickly and now currently don't have a backup point guard on the roster. So let's start here. How has Tyus Jones been for the Wizards this year? Tell Knicks fans what they could potentially be acquiring or should they even want him? Like, Give us the, the, the scouting report from your perspective. The team loves hyping up his assist-to-turnover ratio, so that's good. If you like guys that are pretty ball-secure, he definitely does that. Uh, he's been good offensively. I think he's created a little bit more for himself than than I would have expected. I don't think he's really a guy that's going to create like a ton of easy looks for other people. Like There are some guys that are so dynamic, they're spoon-feeding people. That was like always the John Wall thing, is like, you know, he made the Marcin Gortat kind of you know players uh, by, by giving them all these easy buckets. I don't think Tyus necessarily does that, but he's going to get guys the ball in the right places at the right times. And I think he's been a little more self-focused on the Wizards just because I don't really blame him. You know, might as well get the stats up first time as a starter. I think somewhere like the Knicks is something he'd settle back into more of a 50-50 split between self-creation, creating for others. Uh, Shot the ball pretty well. He honestly scoring well. He's just so small, and and that's really, I think, the challenging end. Wizards don't have the personnel to make up for him defensively, putting him next to Poole. It's probably the worst defensive backcourt in the NBA, I would say. I, I think Tyus tried harder, honestly, from what I saw from him in Memphis. It was also in limited spurts with a reduced offensive role, so maybe that's fair. And he had more help around him. Uh, so I, I think based on what the Knicks would probably ask of him, he could get back to being a slightly better defender. Just at the end of the day, you're kind of limited when you're like six feet tall and, and not crazy athletic. I think the fear I have is sure. that he was in Memphis as a backup. He did mm-hmm. get more time than expected. Yeah. Like he, he started a, a decent amount, not sure. like as much as he's doing on the Wizards, but he he started a bunch because Ja in two seasons ago was hurt and one season ago was unavailable. Other stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
he he's now like playing 30 minutes a game in Washington. Granted, not like you said, on in part of a backcourt that um let's say winning is not the expectation, yeah. but like you're getting to play more. So there is that positive. Um, is there any justification to my worry that if he comes to the Knicks, he's clearly the backup? There will be games he plays like sure. 12 to 15 minutes a game, potentially. There could be some uh, dissension on his part that he's now taking a backseat again. Yeah, I, I think it seems by all counts like he's a good enough dude and team player that I don't know that you have to worry about him like wanting to come in and go rogue to put stats up. So that's probably okay. It's just one okay. of those things where if you're going to expend, uh, you probably want like a decent haul back, not a haul, but like a decent take back for him to, to actually make that trade. Are you going to give up enough to bring in a guy that you can't really play next to your best player that often? That's what I'd wonder about if I were Knicks fans. Honestly, kind of if, if it were me, I think I'd be more looking at like a Delon, right? Could you get him really cheaply? And, you know, decent enough ball handler, much better defender. Um, the, the shooting, yeah, he just hasn't played a ton this year. He's been injured. He is healthy now. He doesn't give you much offensively, but if you just want somebody that can kind of like be solid enough with the ball, but, but you know, wreck a little havoc on, on D, I, I think he's probably like a better guy that you could get more cheaply. So if you're not willing to give up a lot for a guy that that probably isn't going to play a ton of minutes for you. That might really be the dude. And and I also think he's big enough to guard some twos. So you could put him next to Brunson, you know, in a closing lineup, if you needed someone to shut down another team's guards. I think I speak on behalf of Knicks fans. I know I, I speak on behalf of a lot of people in our audience that it's very much, we've narrowed in on Tyus Jones. So I don't okay. know if that's, that's right the will be, right. the, will be the guy. So let's talk okay. price. What is, sure. I, I don't know if you're able to, to speak to what you think the wizards would want in a back in a trade, but the Knicks do have control over the Wizards pick. So if that is the returning price and then like a salary in, in a trade and that's that's the move. Like you get control over your draft back. Is that that's not even wetting your appetite a little bit or, or what's the potential price you'd want back? I wouldn't Tyus think Jones? so. Unfortunately for Knicks fans, I don't know that that pick ever conveys as a first round pick, just given true where the Wizards are and the time frame they're in. I, I think as long as it you know, between now and 2026, if we're not good, it, it probably never turns into anything other than two seconds. So real quick, the the counter I would make is like because of the nature of like trades, like you sure. then still have to wait for the Knicks that pick to convey yeah. in order to be able to start the here's multiple picks. Now, maybe the Wizards aren't in a position to be thinking about we want to trade multiple picks for anything, but you never know if it comes to a point where it's like, oh, this person's available, but we only have X available right now sure. because we owe the Knicks this pick that may not convey for a while, you know? Yeah, I think that's the one consideration. But also, if you're just the beginning of a rebuild, are you really going to go in to be trading first round picks for people anyway? Oh, so that's I, true. I, that's I think true. just timing wise, it, it's probably not super important to them. Like if they could get that back as a throw in, uh, I'm sure even just have the Knicks lift protections as a part of it or, or you know, do some some other maneuvering like uh to, to make that a little more palatable sure i just don't think that that's going to be enough to be like the central point of any kind of trade is to, to get that pick back uh so i don't really know exactly what they'd expect back for jones i think there's a world where they're like not in a huge hurry to trade him if they don't think they're gonna get like a meaningful return here because they think he sets the table for all these other guys and culture and whatever other buzzwords they want to throw out. And, and I do <laughs> think they mean that to some extent. Maybe it's a little posturing. To me, it'd be stupid to hold on to him. 
but I think they probably think they can get like, you know, a, a late ish first back for him just in a vacuum, not even just a pick that may or may not convey in a certain amount of time. So that's what if I said it's the Dallas pick that the Knicks have this year? That's probably something that's considerably more interesting to them. I would think, Okay. Um, you know, who knows what that, like where that pick actually ends up, but uh, it, it probably has a decent chance of being a reasonable pick and uh, you know, whatever the, the salary is or any young guys on the Knicks that aren't getting any burn that, the Wizards could look at as a reclamation project. Unfortunately, we we traded the two young guys that yeah. one that wasn't getting enough burn Emmanuel quickly. That um, I mean, look, th- there's a world where if you're into Malachi Flynn, that's the that's the young guy that comes back, Precious Achua. Yeah. Even um, I will see what the Knicks do with either of these guys over the next month. But uh, look, I I think the bigger question I have because like we like you're 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 projecting what the front office might like. Sure. Well, the fan base, like, yeah. what are they going to be upset with if, like, this is the return we got for Tyus Jones? Yeah, I mean, like, I think just our pick back and, like, some salary would be a bummer. I think okay. the Wizards have so few guys, I think, that people will actually want to give anything up for. And you're starting a rebuild with very few assets. Like, you didn't get really much for Beal. You got some pick swaps, and that's great. You got Tyus Jones is all you got for Porzingis. And... I think I've tried to be the voice of reason a lot, uh, which is not really my strong suit about the Porzingis trade is Ty Jones was basically the sweetener to help facilitate Porzingis going where he wanted to go. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, necessarily Porzingis for Jones. Like, I think that's how some people are, are trying to like conflate that. And, uh, but, but if that's how people look at it, they're going to be like, Oh, we only got our own pick back for basically Porzingis. It, it's just, the mental math would be tougher for people to pull off. I think so. Again, not that the front office would think that way, but I think that there'd be enough fans that would be kind of peeved. I think the 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 fascinating part is the the difference between and the, like what is the disconnect between what the fans might think about it. Do the, does the front office think similarly? Do they care what the fans think? Are they going to make the the best move possible? Like we're we're still in a bit of a, a reactionary phase after the OG and Anobi trade, sure. where. There was a clear attachment from the fan base to both of these kids that you drafted. One third overall, one twenty fifth that became the value in an OG Ananobi trade, um, and like it's very clear we're going to miss both of these guys. And Raptors viewership on League Pass is going to be through the roof in New York. Yeah. And yet, the Knicks got better. Unfortunately, well, I don't know if, unfortunately, it's not even the word. Like oh, yeah. bittersweet. Like. <laughs> They got better. Like OG Ananobi is the perfect fit for the Knicks right I now. Wholeheartedly agree. I, I echo one of the guys on, on one of our pods called Casual Friday last mm-hmm. night. Uh, Mensa, like this is the best starting lineup I think since yeah. the '90s that the Knicks have had, and so that's why I think the priority of a backup point guard is like I, I don't know what the assets they're willing to give up. I know the Dejounte Murray stuff is out there. I'm still just gonna trust that a CAA run team and a clutch client. Are able to be, become part of like the yeah. family's going to be become the uh-huh. come together when it actually happens. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Can I ask you one thing real quick? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sure. Just on on this whole thread for a minute. I'm curious if, like, Knicks fans do this too. Wizards fans, we do this amazing thing where... Everyone on our team sucks and we hate them. And all of our tweets are about how bad everyone on the team is. But then also we expect like a lot of things back for them in return. It's like, Mm -hmm. this guy is terrible, but give us multiple first round picks for him. Is that a thing you all do too? Or is that just us? Like, I don't, I don't know how that works. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that it's almost literally the opposite. Okay. It's like Quentin Grimes could be Clay Thompson. If he got the (laughs) the run, Um, Deuce McBride is a, a rotation player. In the league, my mic keeps messing up. Apologies, everybody. Uh, Deuce McBride uh, should be getting like twenty minutes a game. He I would take Deuce uh, back, by the way. That that could so it's funny. The up. extension he just got, we all assumed it was salary mm-hmm. for whatever trade they're going to after this summer. Um, uh, see, that's a that's a fascinating trade. If it's Deuce and a Dallas pick for Tyus Jones, I don't necessarily know if the Knicks do that, but. You know, it's interesting. I will say that's interesting. Point is, like, there, there are people that love Deuce McBride. Like, the reason there was such an outcry when the initial trade happened here in New York, at least from what we saw, where there was a lot of people like, damn, like, I invested in Emmanuel quickly. I invested quickly, in RJ yeah, right. and RJ Barrett. You know, Mitchell Robinson, he went down. And while there is a movement that, like, the Knicks better center is now starting on Isaiah Hartenstein, there was like, like we drafted Mitch. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I invested in Mitchell Robinson. Like right. there is a clear attachment you get to players when they you literally get to see them from minute one in the NBA and you get to grow with them. And I think that is more the the uh reaction that Knicks fans do after every game. Like he is him in some right. ways. Jalen Brun's him, him manual quickly, uh row him Barrett, like I <laughs> like you you name it. Like Star J Barrett is one of the bigger things. That's a good one. What's funny is the Julius Randall of it all, it's only recently that he started to be King Julius again. Uh-huh. He he dug himself in deep with it's the fan base. Yeah. Uh, but between the two playoff appearances and last like the, the thumbs down from a couple years ago mm-hmm. and the way he started this year, it was just like any good game he has is just building trade value. And maybe that is what's happening, but the man has been on an absolute tear the last two months. And, you know, only recently it's like, oh, we got to get this guy to the all-star game. Like this is, this is not something that happens a lot for our team. We should, we should ex- appreciate this, you know? Yeah, that's really fair. I, I, that maybe is a byproduct of being fans of a good team and winning. You can actually think our guys are good enough to lead to win. So there's something to back that up too. Well, so the funny, the even crazier part is this happened before they were good. Like <laughs> Frank Nilakina, Kevin Knox, oh, yeah. uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Like, like I'll I'll echo the the frustrations of of John Macri, the main host of our show. Um, the hive culture has just always existed 
where it's not just that I need the Knicks to win. I need my favorite player to do well. Sure. I think it, this has just always happened. I think there's always been like you root for your favorite players on your favorite team. We have it's, one or two guys have that kind of following. Like the Denny fans are are pretty okay. loud and, and stuff. But it, it's definitely not. There's not like every guy has his own little pod of people. It doesn't seem like. Does Jordan Poole have a pod in Washington? Not from Wizards fans that he okay. seems to have brought with him. Um, I don't think there's many Wizards fans that have like latched onto him, you know, based on his tenure in Washington. Let's say. Okay. I mean, if I could just ask some some questions about the Wizards, I don't want to because yeah. I think they're six and twenty seven as we're currently recording. I should mention we're recording this before the Sixers game tonight, so anything that happens in the Sixers game, I'm not reacting to. But the Wizards. Um, I mean, because the the Pistons were setting the record for the longest losing streak ever, they almost like took away from any attention that the Wizards were getting for being also on pace for sixty five plus losses. Sure. And like, if you could tell me, I know rebuilds are are they require patience, but has your patience been tested this year more than any other? As as been as you've been following, or even just a fan of this team. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm okay personally. I, I think it's definitely there are a lot of folks that are already checked out, despite advocating strongly for like the last five years that we should be rebuilding. People are mm-hmm. like, "Well, there's nothing to watch," and I think it's it's less about the losing and how they're losing. Uh, there are definitely a lot of like listless nights. And I, me personally, I loved the other night when they got blown out by the Cavaliers because if you're going to lose, at least lose so bad that your coach has to run plays through your top ten pick. Mm-hmm. And and the Koulibaly usage has been like a real point of contention for fans this year. He's just sort of underutilized, I think, in our collective opinion. So seeing him get a little more burn or at least meaningful burn uh, would, would be, you know, make this a little easier to swallow. But we knew they were going to be bad. And it's at least nice to be bad on purpose for a change. So I think that that kind of makes it a little easier to swallow. If you're Detroit and your goal was to actually be competitive this year and you're this bad that's got to be pretty crushing in like year four of the rebuild or whatever. You're one of of a team that was built to be bad, being bad. I think it's a little easier to rationalize. Now, two more years of this uh, might be pretty tough. Who's the guy that Wizards fans are upset is playing over Koulibaly? It's not even so much that people are playing over him. Like he's getting like 23-ish minutes a game or something like that. I I don't have it handy, but plus 20, 20, 25 minutes. It's just... There's a lot of like run down the court and then stand in the corner. Hmm. And you see these flashes every once in a while of like, okay, give him the ball, clear out, let him ISO, and he'll do like this mid range pull up. And you're like, oh shit, like, can he do that again? Uh, and then he won't touch the ball for like 15 consecutive possessions. So, hmm. you know, I, I think just less about the minutes and who plays over him and more about just like, let's get him actual touches and opportunities to show some stuff off when he's out there. So, the, obviously, we're recording this on the day that Jonathan Kaminga, I guess, leaked leak to Shams that he's frustrated with how he's used in in Golden State. And while look, I was watching that game last night, mm-hmm. and I was wondering where Jonathan Kaminga was as they were blowing an eighteen point fourth quarter lead, mm-hmm. especially when like a team low nineteen minutes for for yeah. Kaminga. That that is also like it's still a bad look. It's a twenty one year old being immature in the moment, which like you hope that goes away with time. But I, I guess it just, what's your take on this? Like, is it just like player dependent? Like who, like who it met? Like, like here in New York, we had Kevin Knox, his first year given like 35 minutes, do whatever you want. They won 17 games. 
Yep. And I'd argue it like hurt his development because mm-hmm. he was given like the Kevin Durant usage yeah, sure. all at once. And then the next year, the Knicks signed like seven pay- players that played his position, including Julius Randle, Marcus Morris. They drafted RJ, who's really more of a three, and Knox was playing the three mm-hmm. mostly. And there was just no clear development plan for him. So you'd argue like bringing him along slowly would have been better. Then there's the Emmanuel Quickleys who showed like from the beginning, you should be playing him more and more and more. And the Knicks never played him enough, to be honest. So like, where do you stand on what the balance is of like, is it actually like, is there a clear set thing you should always do? Or is it really player dependent? I think it's definitely player dependent and, and what you're, team situation is and what your expectations for that player are long-term. If you're you're starting a rebuild and he's your lone sort of long-term piece as a top 10 pick and you see a like potential stardom for them, which I I think they do. And most fans do uh, it's, it's tough to just have them relegated to this very low usage role. And one of my colleagues at, at bolts forever, Kevin Broom wrote a really nice piece about just, of guys that have turned into stars, what was their rookie year usage? And I don't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but Koulibaly is falling very very far short of that. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that it's like roll the the ball out LeBron style and let him just cook the whole time, but there's got to be like a better middle ground between, you know, this is the same usage we were giving to guys, you know, drafted in the 30s a couple years ago. So it's just, if you're not going to be good, like we can't find a few more opportunities for them. I think over the course of the season, not that big of a deal like right now, but his usage is trending down over the last six or seven games, which is a little surprising, especially once you're kind of out of any meaningful, you know, postseason aspirations or things like that. You think that's when it would trend up. So as long as they clear some guys out at the trade deadline and that frees him up to, to do a little bit more, I think people will be happy. You've got a coach in Wes Unseld that's realistically coaching for his job, even though he has a year beyond this one and what that means for him. I think they just want it like the front office wants to see development from those young guys, but he's talking about, Oh, we won't show showcase veterans or promote young guys. Like we're just going to play our best lineups. And it's like, okay, for what? (laughs) Like, so you can be seven and 26 as opposed to six and 27. Just what's the end game with a lot of this stuff is going to be interesting. It's why I started this with more transactional discussions because I wonder if he's playing them for the case. And then maybe he is just flat out trying to win games, which not exactly <laughs> succeeding at that. But um, the the fact that you have, I hate to call players assets, which you have guys that you potentially want to move at this deadline. You got to put them on the court so teams can get a good look at them. Now, in the case, like we just had RJ Barrett get traded out. I, we got, I think we reached a point where the more he played, the more he was diminishing his his trade value but point is you understood the quagmire of like I can't just suddenly make him off the bench because that makes his value even like that much worse and so if I can ask just like who are the untouchables on the wizards that you consider and you know like who do you potentially if it's a two-parter who do you potentially think will be gone by the the February deadline I think Koulibaly is probably the lone like untouchable really like there's only one untouchable i think pool might be untouchable right now just because no one wants to to do that um just given what they've probably seen from him so far this year and the contract associated with that i don't think they're in a big hurry to trade denny avdia they just signed him to a deal it's team friendly he's probably outperformed that deal so far i think gafford is probably in a similar boat where he's shown some 
you know, some improvement this year. He's on a reasonable contract, but I don't think they would say no to like, you know, a, a haul for either of those guys. If someone makes you the godfather offer for either or both, I don't think they're in a position where they can turn it around, like turn that down. You're so early in a rebuild and you're so strapped for, for picks and things like that, that they probably have to take anything. If, if someone, you know, blows their, their lid off when, when they see, you know, the, the phone call come in here of like, Hey, we'll, we'll give you X, Y, and Z picks. Like, sure. I got to take that. Uh, Kuzma, I don't think they're actually in a hurry to trade despite some sort of recent, maybe credible mm. or not reporting to the contrary. I, but same deal. Like if someone comes in and is like, Hey, we will give you three first round picks or something or, or whatever the case may be. I, they're not going to say no. Uh, but also there's no hurry to be like, well, yeah, well, how about a top 25 protected first round pick and a bad contract? Like yeah. they're not going to do that for sure. That, like Kuzma, I think, cause he just signed, right? He just signs. He yeah, just super team friendly right? deal. He's under $20 million a year. And that, the old um, descends between now and the end of it. So by the end of that deal, that's going to be, you know, a steal for somebody on a contending team. So I, I think halfway through that deal is maybe more likely that he gets moved for, for even more than he'd probably get you right now. But, but maybe yeah. they say, Hey, this is as good as he can play. If someone makes us a sweet deal, we, we've got to take it. So I think um, that's, that's the key. The thing I'd zero in on is like, you'd have to really because like the, the security of he's, he's under contract, you know, like this isn't an expiring contract. I think that's why Knicks fans circling in on Tyus Jones and, and whether that's a, an option is more because he's an expiring contract. The price may not be as high. Um, as far as his matchup is concerned, um, I, any Knicks fans that might be afraid that they're going to lose to a team that's six and twenty-seven? Do you want to give us any justifications for that fear, or do uh, you want to put our worries at ease? I feel pretty good about having called how the last game would play out. You nailed it, by the way. <laughs> you, yeah, uh, I've seen enough. Uh, I've seen that movie before, so I uh, had mm-hmm. some experience there. This one, it kind of wouldn't shock me if the Wizards like made a little run in it. They, they. They've been kind of punchy the last couple games with the exception of this Cavaliers game. So maybe there's a bounce back opportunity for them here. I definitely think they'll at least hang for the first half. And then the third quarter seems to be really big for them. If they can keep it close and get it into a fourth, they seem to hang with teams until the end, until they do a few boneheaded things or take a couple bad threes or whatever. But uh, that's, that's really the swing quarter for them uh, a lot of the season. And, I don't know. I just feel like they're due for like a win here. Eventually it's starting to be that point in the season where maybe you catch a couple teams and uh, you've got some other teams on the schedule coming up. If you're the Knicks that are a little more uh, attention grabbing than the wizards are. So maybe mm-hmm. you overlook a team like this. So could be a schedule loss kind of thing, but I don't know. I would still imagine that the Vegas odds are pretty heavily in the Knicks' favor on this one. I would think. So it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the third quarter before this trade was made. That would have scared me. That okay. the, we called it the third quarter of doom because <laughs> Nick's starting five really always played even. Like throughout mm-hmm. the Thibodeau era, it played even where the you just try to either outscore or not be losing by too much. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth quarter would roll around or honestly, Emmanuel quickly would get checked into the game. Yeah, right, right. And the Knicks would just blitz teams with their second unit. Uh, mm-hmm. And I should say like Derek Rose was part of that. Alec Burks for a while was part of that. Obi Toppin, Josh Hart, like Isaiah Hartenstein when he was on the second unit. Like mm-hmm. the Knicks have thrived with a second unit that yeah. 
has been elite for a long time, which is why this new world where our first unit is better yep. is the more fascinating one. So I, I'll be curious to see in this world where the Knicks are, they really only have six guys at the moment. No disrespect to Deuce or yeah, uh, uh, Precious Achua or oh no, seven guys. They have seven guys. They have uh, they have Quentin Grimes too. I shouldn't say that, but the point is like they. They're searching for bodies at the moment, and it's funny what a consolidation trade will do. You're like, oh, we have too many guys. Then you make a trade. Oh, we, have no, we don't have enough guys yet. All of a sudden, could um, we interest you in Danilo Gallinari reunion? You know, it's funny. Yeah. Is he is he playing right now? Like that, that's my ignorance yeah. showing up. Like, is no, he? How is his health at the moment? Uh, he is getting up and down the court. It's just albeit very <laughs> slowly. Uh, he might be the slowest player in the NBA, but. He's still probably a net positive offensively. So if you just needed somebody to come in and be big and stretch the floor a little bit, like the Knicks are actually probably a team that could, you know, like extract a little positive value from that. It's just the Wizards have so many net negatives defensively that they can't cover for him at all. And and that's really the challenge. So I just looked at it. If he wasn't shooting 31% from three this year, I'd I'd be enticed. Um, Right now, Josh Hart is the backup four. Yep. And honestly, in this new world with Ananobi, he's yep. the other backup four. So yep. we're able to, to try different lineups that way. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Actually, as we wrap up, if you want to give me your thoughts on the Knicks and what they've done, and specifically the the Ananobi trade and, and where they are in the standings, what are your thoughts on the Knicks? I really like quickly. I've always had a lot of quickly stock. You know, yeah. I wrote a couple of draft pieces about like, this is a guy the wizard should be getting much higher than he actually went. So I thought that was a great pick. Uh, but they just, they got better for right now. For whatever reason, they weren't valuing quickly. This seems the way that the rest of us do or, mm-hmm. or other teams do not an RJ Barrett guy. So I, I just feel like, you know, if you weren't going to use quickly and, I don't think Barrett's actually that good to warrant that contract longer term. It's probably just the right time to move off of it. And and I think OG is like the perfect fit for the rest of that group. So I actually kind of liked it for both teams. Uh, like there's at least a few pieces of it where you could be like, well, you know, wish if both sides think you gave up a little bit too much, it's probably a good trade. So I, I think it was probably a pretty good trade. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they went on a little mini run here. And if I were one of these other playoff teams, I, I wouldn't really want to see them in a first round series. This this month of January. Now, I should say this going into 2024, like they mm-hmm. their December was brutal. Yeah. 
and they played 20 road games in the first easier i saw yeah man they they're just they're at home more is the the simple like like like, i think they're the 21st easiest schedule in the league um or the most difficult schedule strength of schedule they're 21st in the league so they have the ability to um you know take advantage of more home games easier opponents quote unquote um I'm, i'm it's really gonna show the the lack of like that punch off the bench that comes like right now Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle are playing almost every minute of the game yeah, <laughs> like it's like you get six minutes here you get six minutes there and it's then we're gonna special though right I mean it is but what's funny is in this era he like he's had guys so yeah. it's actually been the more the opposite because right. of their depth he's been deploying it correctly I mean the first year was a little was a little off where he was still getting used to to quickly being good and Obi being good um the second year I think is the year where it's like you could you did not have to play Obi top in 12 minutes when Julius Randle is this version of him yeah last year I think is the year where he finally was like okay I'm gonna let go of the leash a little bit I have like what especially once Josh Hart got there and it was very clear. I got like nine guys that can play 20 minutes and this year even I have nine guys that can play 20 minutes and I think that's where the minutes crunch went to. And now, because you have like seven guys that can play at least 25 minutes and you don't have a backup point guard and you really don't have a backup center, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein's minutes are up, Julius Randle's minutes are up, Jalen Brunson's minutes are up. And I don't think it's anything sustainable, which is why I'm, I'm really curious what the, the immediacy and the urgency is for them to, to make a move. And who knows? Apparently, the Ananobi trade... Um, was initially conjured and discussed on December 1st in wow. Toronto when the Knicks okay. were there. So who knows? The Knicks are going to be in town yeah, this weekend. Be, maybe they'll be working stuff for a while. Maybe there. they'll talk to to the the higher ups over in Washington and we could be we could be reacting to a trade in the not too distant future. We could throw in Mike Muscala to sweeten the deal if that helps. Eh? You know what? That actually would. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. A backup center. He could get like some that, yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't hate that, <laughs> to be completely yeah. honest. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Matt, course, as always, anytime. for coming on. We appreciate it. I genuinely do wish you the best of luck with... Thank you. Like, I, I know how difficult it is to cover <laughs> a team that is... I mean, look, the first real year that I got into doing this, or at least when Nick's film school started, was during mm-hmm. the 17 and 65 year, which led to RJ Barrett. The first year I got into it was the other 17-win season that led <laughs> to Chris Porzingis. So, okay. like... Having experienced years like this, I understand checking it out and I commend you for still, you know, still keeping at it, you know? I will be living vicariously through you guys because I think that's a fun <laughs> situation to be in. Like there's organic growth and you've got, I think, likable guys. Like, how can you not root for Jalen Brunson uh, just as like a, a basketball fan? Like it's just mm-hmm. a cool story. So uh it's yeah. been fun to check out. That I think is the coolest part about the Knicks is like like even Julius Randle has to be part of this. The the exceeding of expectations that they as a group have been able to do. Like yeah. Julius got cut by the Lakers and then yeah. like signed with the Knicks as the consolid uh, as the consolation prize to mm-hmm. not getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And he's might make his third all-star team. Jalen Brunson like was Luca's sidekick, and then everybody said he got overpaid to go to the Knicks, and everybody's now like, oh my gosh, he's He's an all-star. Like, what a steal, yeah. What a steal of a contract that is. Like That, I think, is the coolest part about what the Knicks have built, where it's like, oh, they're, they're finding things that other people are missing. And you know, that's the, the best place, I think, to be in as a totally franchise. Great. 
So, uh, Matt, thank you for joining me. Before you get out of here, tell the fine folks where they can find you and all your stuff. Yeah, thanks. Um, Believe in Wizards, B-L-E-A-V. Uh, me and Jihadi White. Uh, kind of talking more macro, just how players feel about different things at this point. Doing game-by-game recap isn't really meaningful when everyone is basically the same. So it's a lot of, hey, if you're in the locker room right now, how would this actually feel to be a part of? Or what do you think the front office is saying about this? And just just that sort of macro level stuff. So if you want any more NBA content, give us a, give us a look. Good stuff. Thank you, Matt. Once again, a big thank you to Matt for coming on today's show. You know what to do. The KFS bump. He covers a 6-27 and basketball team. The least we could do is head on over to the YouTube channel or the podcast feed. Five stars. Hit up the comments. The best wishes. Hope the rebuild goes well. Um, hope you, you're enduring the Jordan pool experience as best you can. Uh, you know, the, all the above. So head on over to Matt, send us some kind words to, to hopefully look, I'm, I'm, I, I went into the Philly game nervous as hell and they ended up winning by 36. I'm trying not to be too confident going into this, this Washington game, but I, I can't help it. They just destroyed the team with the best net rating in the NBA. Um, but you know what? I will be cautiously optimistic about this game that I'm pretty sure there's a reason to be. Um, Well, if you want me to eat my words, if they end up losing this game, I'll be on the post game tonight with the the homie Sean with a W. Uh, We will be hosting on Saturday nights after the Knicks game. So if you're wanting to tune in after this game to the KFS YouTube channel and obviously the KFS post game show, Sean and I will take you through it and recap this game in full. Uh, As far as I'm concerned with this podcast, uh, leave a five star rating and a review if you enjoyed it. I'll be back on Tuesday with an episode previewing the matchup against the Blazers. And until then, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.